All right, here we go. We have the next Torah portion, which in Hebrew is called Parshas Yisrael. And Yisrael is actually the name of a person. I think in English he's called Jethro, maybe. I'm not sure. Anyways, he was Moses' father-in-law. And he heard about all the miracles that was uh, that were being performed for the Jewish people in the desert. He heard about the special food that's coming down. He heard about a splitting of the sea that had happened. Um, he heard about the war with uh, Amalek that was last week at the end of the Torah portion. And so now um, Yisrael, I'll just call him in the Hebrew instead of the English because I'm not sure how to pronounce the English name. So Yisrael. So Yisrael now comes to join the Jewish people and with him he brings Moses' wife and two kids. Originally, right, Yisrael lived in the place called Midian and that's where Moses had run away to. And that's where Moses got married to Yisrael's daughter, Zipporah. And that's where Moses had two sons, Gershom and Eliezer. And then when God told Moses that he needs to be the one to take the Jewish people out of Egypt, and Moses started traveling back to Egypt with his wife and kids, and then he met up with his older brother Aaron, and Aaron said, why are you bringing your wife and kids? I mean, you're going down to Egypt now. It's not a, a fun place for Jewish people to be. Why are you making them join the suffering? Send them back home, and just you come to, uh, to Egypt. And that's what Moses did. So this whole event of the exodus of Egypt and the splitting of the Red Sea and all that kind of stuff, Moses was there, but his wife and children were actually missing. And they're coming now in this week's Torah portion. In the beginning, they joined the Jewish people again. So Yisroi arrives at the camp, the outer sides of the camp in the desert where the Jewish people are camping out. And he sends out a messenger ahead to Moses to let him know, hey, I'm here. And if you don't think that's fun enough, I'm here with your wife. And if you think that's not fun enough, I'm here with your children also. So please come say hi. And Moses right away runs out to greet them. And he uh, gives a lot of respect to his father-in-law. Now, where Moses goes, Aaron goes. Where Aaron goes, his sons go. When the other Jewish people see the leaders going somewhere, they go. So here we have this massive welcoming committee, welcoming Yisrael. Uh, to the Jewish people, and they have a whole celebration together, and Yisrael accepts upon himself. He is uh, the first convert, basically. He decides he wants to join the Jewish people, um, which he does. And that was a big deal, because Yisrael had been a, a priest before. He had served many other idol worships. Any, any kind of idol worship that was around in the world at that time, he had tried it. And he said, no, these are not the answer. It's there must be something more than this, more. There, there, this is not it. Until he discovered the God of the Jewish people. And he said, there is a God in the world. And that is the one that we need to serve. No more idol worship for me. I'm becoming a Jew. And so he's there watching the goings on in the, in the Jewish camp. And he notices that his son-in-law, Moses, is busy day and night answering the people's questions. Whenever anyone had the question about how to keep something or what does God say about this or, hey, I have a dispute with a, with someone else. Can you help me settle it? Everybody went to Moses. But if you have like millions of people asking the questions to one person, there's two uh, issues with that. Issue number one is that the person answering the questions, in this case, Moses, 
doesn't have a moment to breathe because day and night he's busy answering questions. And issue number two is that all the people that have questions need to wait a very long time before they're answered. So Yisra says, Moses, can I have a moment of your time? Can I please? I mean, you got to check with God if this is a good idea, but you need to create a different system. How about you set up a system of judges um, under you? Set up a whole system in which um, every 10 people have uh, a judge to ask. If those, if that judge doesn't know the answer to the question, so can't help them, he'll go to a judge that's um, on top of 50 people. Appoint another judge for every hundred people. Appoint another judge for every thousand people. And basically, someone asks their question to the guy, to the judge in charge of 10 people. That one doesn't know. Move up a step higher. Go to the one, the judge in charge of 50 people. He doesn't know. Go a step higher. The judge of 100 people. Uh, or, and then a thousand people and so on and so forth. Until, if, if really nobody knows the answer, ask Moses. If Moses is really does not know the answer, he's going to ask God. But in that way, it, the, the, the workload is shifted off of Moses and it's much more spread out. And God agreed to this idea and that's how they set it up. And they ended up with another 78,600 judges. And then we yeah, there are some rules mentioned about what those judges should be and should not be. So they should be good leaders. They should be people who don't care about money so they can't get bribed. They need to be scared of God, afraid of God, and not of other people. So they always judge the correct judgment based on what the actual rule of the law is and not what the defendant would like to hear. And... As much as Yisrael loved being with the Jewish people, but then he said, Moses, I'm going to go back home to my hometown of Midian. And Moses, Moses says, no, please stop. Stay, stay with us. We enjoy having you with us. And he says, no, I mean, I enjoy being with you too. But if I go home now, I can then spread the word of God to my family and friends. I can help my family convert. And that's what I sh really should be doing now. And Moses says, okay, I understand what you're, where you're coming from. Go right ahead. And that's how Yisrael leaves. And then we come to the pretty much the most important part. And this is the giving of the Torah, which happens in this week's Torah portion. And there are actually two uh, stories in the Midrash. I think it's in the Midrash. Uh, the stories about where the Torah was given and how it was not given to others. I'll just say the story very quick. Where the Torah was given. The Torah was given on Mount Sinai. So when word spread between the mountains that God is looking for a mountain to give the Torah on, and all the mountains said, oh, pick me, pick me. I'm so big, I'm so tall, I'm so beautiful, I'm so this, I'm so that. And they were all bragging. There was one mountain, Mount Sinai, who was very humble. And it said, listen, I'm this... I'm not a big mountain. I'm a pretty small mountain. I'm fairly ugly. There's nothing nice growing on me or anything special. So um, I would love for God to give the Torah on me, but I'm sure he'll find someone better because, well, I'm not top of the line. And God said, actually, little Mount Sinai, you are top of the line because you are humble. And that is what I really enjoy. And that's how Mount Sinai was picked. And... Um, then there's the story about uh, how God first went to the other nations or the angels of the other nations because to prevent uh, later issues. You see, if 
Jew, if God starts uh, at some point, right? The Jewish people got the Torah, they accept the Torah upon themselves. They start, they start uh, listening to the commandments, following everything, and then God gives a lot of rewards. And other nations could say, "Oh, what's the big deal? Yeah, of course God is kind to you. Of course you're experiencing all these miracles because you're you're keeping the Torah. If God would have given the Torah to us, we would have done all these special things." So it's not really fear. So God says, so to prevent such a such an excuse from happening, I'm first going to offer the Torah to all the nations of the world. And God offered it to the the angels of each nation and said, do you guys want to accept the Torah? And they said, well, before we answer, you, you got to tell us what is in there. And God said, well, it says that uh, you shouldn't kill. Don't murder anyone. Hmm. Well, that's not something we want to accept upon ourselves. No, sorry, God, we do not want your Torah. Okay, on to the next nation. Do you guys want to accept the Torah? Uh, accept my Torah? You want to get it? Well, depends. What does it say in it? It says, uh, "Don't steal, don't steal." Mwah. No, sorry, we don't want your God, your, your Torah, God. And that's how it went on and on until God asked the Jewish people, "Do you want my Torah?" And the Jewish people answered two famous words: "Nase venishma." We will do, and then we will hear. Meaning, we accept the Torah upon ourselves. We're going to do it, because if it comes from you, God, then we're willing to accept it upon ourselves. And then, so that's nase, we will do. And then, venishma, we will hear. Then we will hear what, what that Torah contains. But we already know for sure we're accepting it upon ourselves. So, um, God was very happy with that response. And now is the time to actually give the Torah. And the Torah is being given in the desert. The desert doesn't really belong to anyone. Everybody is free to roam around in the desert. So God says the Torah belongs to all the Jewish people. Can't say like, oh, well, I'm an American Jew. So the Torah belongs much more to me. Or no, I'm a French Jew. So the Torah belongs much more to me. No, the Torah was given in a desert. It wasn't any particular country. Because it's accessible and available to all. Nobody owns it more than the, than the next person and the Torah was given on purpose on a mountain mountain sticks out you can see it from far away accepting the Torah upon ourselves and following the Torah is something that we can be proud of it's something that everybody should see from far away yes I am a uh, uh, a person who accepted the Torah upon myself I'm a Jew and I'm proud as the song goes I'm a Jew and I'm proud and I'll sing it out loud because forever that's what I'll be anyways I'm not going to be singing that now but, um, so that is the point of a mountain. Let's be proud of ourselves. Um, anyway, so now the Jewish people are camped out next to the mountain, Mount Sinai. And it says there was perfect, beautiful unity. For one period in time, all the Jewish people were with, like, with one heart. One man, one heart. Everybody was united. Everybody was excited. We are going to accept the Torah upon ourselves right now. And there was some back and forth. There were some preparations going on. And God was telling Moses to pass on to the Jewish people. Uh, thing, uh, he said, uh, for example, God said here, the way things are going to go I, is I'm going to come down in a cloud on Mount Sinai. And then Moses, I'll talk to you. And then you'll tell the Jewish people what I'm saying. And when Moses passed on this message to the Jewish people, they said, no, we don't want that. We want to hear God himself. We want our king. We don't want to get it through his messenger. And God was very happy with that. But we're going to see it didn't work out all the way, but somewhat it did work out. And then the message had to get passed along that the Jewish people need to prepare themselves for three days. They can't touch any anything that's not pure. 
and they need to go into the mikvah, the ritual baths, and everybody need to make sure that they're completely pure. And then it was for three days, and then it was going to be the the giving of the Torah. And there was a fence built around the mountain so that nobody should touch it, not people, not animals, nobody should touch it. And it's the morning of uh, the giving of the Torah. And it's the sixth day of Sivan, the month of Sivan, and early morning, and all the Jewish people are still sleeping. And God says, I'm so excited. I'm going to, to start the day already. And, and we're going to give the Torah. And he looks down and everybody is sleeping. And God says, what? Moses, wake everybody up here. He made a lot of thunderous sounds. Everybody needs to get up already. So this is the, the, the regular story, right? Everybody was sleeping. And God says, hey, what's going on? This is a little bit disappointing. Uh, why were the Jewish people sleeping? And from then on, the custom is that every year on the sixth day of Sivan, the night before, uh, people don't go to sleep, but they stay up learning Torah all night. There's actually a deeper meaning to it behind it, but I guess we're not going to go into that right now. So here everybody got woken up and everybody runs, runs, runs to the mountain to go receive the Torah. And key is everybody is running. What's so special about that? Well, until now, there were people who were either they were missing limbs or the limbs weren't working properly or people were not necessarily in their healthiest uh, bodies, especially because if you know they were slaves for many years, they were tortured, they were whipped, they were beaten up. So a lot of people were not uh, the healthiest. Now, God created a miracle that everybody became completely healthy. And we're going to see such a miracle again when Mashiach comes, when the Messiah comes, everybody will be completely healed. There will be no more pain, no more suffering, no more physical ailments in the world. But that's what already happened now. And the mountain is is smoking, and there is thunderstorms, and there is lightning. And it says the Jewish people were able to, to uh, see things that are usually heard, and they're able to hear things that are usually seen. And there's a lot more behind that also, but we're just going to go quickly through the Torah portion. And everybody is standing around Mount Sinai in a cloud on top. And God's uh, divine presence, the Shekhinah, comes down within that cloud. And all the Jewish people are standing there. And the world is silent. Completely quiet. The wind is not making noise. Water is not making noise. Animals not making noise. People not making noise. It's quiet, completely silent. And suddenly, God starts speaking with a loud and thunderous voice. And he says, I am, I am Hashem. I'm God. You're God. The one who took you out of Egypt. Oh, it's a very powerful moment. And the souls of the people couldn't handle this and they flew right back up to heaven and their bodies of the people backed up they couldn't handle this and the angels pushed the people back to the mountain and got uh sent down a special dew that revived all the dead he put all their souls back in their bodies and it's time for the second of the commandments and god says you should not have uh any uh other gods no idol worshiping for you guys and again, everybody's souls fly out of their bodies. They can't handle this. They, well, this is too holy for us. Well, well, and the Jewish people say, Moses, Moses, do something. We can't handle this. We're, we're, we're going to die. This is too much, too overpowering for us. 
So then God told Moses, fine, I'll tell you the next commandments and then you pass it on to the Jewish people. But at least now, two things happened. Number one, the Jewish people are the only nation who heard God talking to them directly. And number two, now they all know that you, Moses, are a real prophet, a true prophet. What he tells everyone, he really heard from me, from God. Now everybody realizes Moses is the guy who could handle uh, God talking to him. And so they can believe every word he says. And then Moses passed on the next eight commandments. What's interesting that in English it's called the Ten Commandments. It doesn't say the Ten Suggestions or uh, Multiple Choice. It's the Ten Commandments, these ten. So what are the ten? From which the first two were given by, were, were said directly by God. And the next eight were said from God to Moses. And then Moses passed it on to the Jewish people while everybody was standing there. So the first one, as we said, was I am God, your God, who took you out of Egypt. Then there is don't believe in any other gods. Don't make statues of anything in heaven or on earth. Don't bow to or pray to idols. And then God says, actually, if you do, you'll be punished for four generations. But the reward for loving God and keeping the mitzvahs, his commandments and doing good deeds will last for 2,000 generations. That's number two. Now we have number three. So don't disgrace God's name by using it when you swear about something foolish or for no reason. Number four is remember and keep the Shabbos to be a holy day. Work during the six days of the week. And then the seventh day is Shabbos. It's a special day for God. Don't work on Shabbos. God says, not you, not your children, not your animals, not your slaves. Because God created the world in six days and he rested on the seventh. And that's why God made this a holy day and we need to keep it in a holy fashion. Then rule number five, it, honor your father and mother. Number six, don't kill. Number seven, uh, don't marry the wife of another man. Basically moral behavior. Number eight, don't steal. Uh, number nine, if you're a witness in a court, don't say anything that is not true. You got to be honest. Number 10, don't be jealous. Don't wish you could have someone else's things. Now, there's something uh, interesting if you think about it. Here we have God revealing himself to the people and it's a whole big deal. And God has given commandments. So a commandment like believe in God. Yeah, that, that's a biggie. That's something that God should be telling you. A commandment like keep Shabbos. Yeah, I wouldn't have thought of such a thing myself. So it makes sense that God should tell me this now. But what about things like uh, don't kill, don't steal, don't be jealous. Though, do we really need God to tell us those things? That, you know, the divine things like believing in God, the no other gods. Okay, fine. We need God to tell us that. But someone who doesn't have the Torah, who doesn't know that God said it, can also, from their rational mind, come to it not to that that stealing is not okay or that killing is not okay. Why do we need God to tell us such a thing? Why does that have to be part of the Ten Commandments? So the answer to that is that we are human beings with limited minds. And when we come to do things, when we come to conclusions with our limited minds, by definition, those things will be limited. When we follow man-made morals, it's not going to get us very far. 
God is the one who tells us what does it mean not to steal? What does it mean not to kill? And it's very clear that it has to come from God and not from our own limited minds. And, and, and a very easy example of why that is so clear, of how that is so clear, is think about 70, 75 years ago in Nazi Germany. It was the top minds, the, the intellectuals, the top scientists and doctors who decided with their limited human minds that there is human beings and there's people that are less than human beings and therefore you can kill those um, who you deem not to be human. And it's not considered murdering because you're just getting rid of people who have uh, who are less than. And these were the top minds. But you can see a top mind of any human being is still limited. And instead, we follow God's laws. God says what it means not to murder, what it means not to not to steal, all these things. And yes, they come on the level of believe in God, your in, in God, that God is your God. Don't do idol worship. And again, don't murder, don't steal, all these things because they come from God. And keep in mind that only uh, a higher power can give us the unlimited version of of the of the laws. Um, so that were the Ten Commandments. And then the Torah portion ends off with a few more rules that don't seem to be anything connected to the to the giving of the Torah. And that is um, the, the rules about the Mizbeach, about the altar, what it needs to be made out of, what it can't have, what it could have. And we're going to learn a lot more about these kind of uh, things in later on Torah portions. Um, but here we have this whole big deal, right? We have the Torah being given to the Jewish people and it's all, wow, spiritual and high and wow, God and this and that. Well, we're going to see in next week's Torah portion how we're going to have laws that seem to be so dry and boring. And you would think, wait, this week we have such a high. We have the Torah being given. We have, we have whoa, you know, thunder and lightning and, and God revealing himself. And wow, this is all amazing. And then we're going to go to, to the nitty gritty laws um, about judging and about slaves and servants and all that kind of stuff in next week's Torah portion. And it seems to be such a contradiction. Shouldn't we continue with our spiritual high? But no, the Torah wasn't given to be in complete spiritual highs at all times. God says, I'm giving the Torah to the people down here in the world. It's something for you to keep here in the physical world. But I guess we'll have more about that uh, next week. Now we just are left with the Haftorah. So the Haftorah for Yisrael is, is from Isaiah. So in the Torah portion we have... Um, we have God revealing himself to the Jewish people at Mount Sinai. So in the Haftorah, we have the description of God's first revelation to the prophet Isaiah and how he started off being a prophet. And it it uh, lines out what is going to be um, the major themes of Isaiah's message to the Jewish people at his time, which was and uh, which is that they, they have gone astray. They're not following God's commandments properly. And they're threatened with exile. And that, but still, even though there's going to be exile, a remnant of them, of the Jewish people, 
when they renew their loyalty to God, they'll be restored to their land and they'll flourish anew. That is the Haftorah.